Amen. Praise the one who raised this life up from the dead, right? He didn't make sort of people with bad habits a little better. He made dead people alive. Amen. Praise God for his mercy and his goodness to do that in our lives. Well, welcome. Good morning. So glad you're with us today at South City Church. Um, like Lori said, so many faces that we love dearly and haven't seen in a long time were with us today, and, and uh, we're so glad you're here, and pray that God would do a work in your heart, and uh, that you would feel like you're back home again with us. Um, you know, for the last, I've been at this, this location, at this, uh, you know, we, we were Temple Baptist Church, we replanted at South City Church, and in just a couple of weeks, I'll have been here for uh, four years, and in that time, we've had a lot of different series talking about the church. It's been important to us to kind of get a good grasp, a good handle on what really is the church, because the, the world will define the church or the communities we live in. The South sees the church a lot different than the North in, in many ways. Um, the West, the East, just kind of geographically, sometimes we define church differently. What is the church? What are the, the marks of a healthy church? That was one of the series we did. We did a series called Rethink Church, trying to just engage our minds to go, hey, maybe it's not exactly what we thought it is, and maybe we need to adjust and, and redefine it and make sure that we're living in such a way that we are being the church that God wants us to be. Uh, we did a series called I Love My Church, and uh, all those series were, were really good. Listen, we've had many conversations about the church. We're going to continue to have conversations about the church uh, because we want to be a church that looks like the church of the Bible, Right? We don't want to look like the church down the street. We want to look like the church in the Word of God. That's who we want to be. And so it's not easy. And we're not there yet. But praise God, uh, we're closer than we were. And so he is doing a work in us. And I'm excited that this morning, as Lori said, we're starting a new series called Church Defined. Um, you know, over the last two years, our elders have really taken uh, this serious in the sense that we wanted to pray through what does it mean to be a biblical church? So we've studied uh, sort of at a, a seminary level um, Acts and we've studied the early church and we've been having these wonderful conversations and reading books that have supported uh, the word and some different things. And so we've been asking some really good questions about what does it mean for the Bible to define the church, to be a biblical example of the church. And I'm excited that today we're gonna start a series of 10 or 11 weeks that's called Church Defined, and we're going to focus in on six verses, believe it or not, for 10 or 11 weeks, right? Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're going to look at those, and we're going to, basically as you read those, we're going to read it this morning, obviously, we're going to see a lot of values in this early church, a lot of different things that that church held in high esteem, and we're going to take a look at those values and go, are those values that we need? What was the context of what was happening in that place and what's, what's going on in our lives and how can we ad, uh, adopt those same values and sets of beliefs in our own lives and in the life of our church? So we're going to break down those descriptors as we get going here through the, through the next several weeks. So what is a church? What, what values do we see in a healthy, vibrant, disciple-making uh, church? In other words, what defines a church? Some of you have, been, have told me you're, you're kind of sad we're leaving Acts. In the Acts series, we were in it for four, four, uh, you know, four different summers. We're going to finish it up next summer, I'm convinced. 
But actually, we're going to jump back into Acts in this series in Acts 2. So uh, we haven't gone too far. I want to give you a little context before we read our scripture this morning uh, and we get going. Give you a little context of what's going on in the church in Acts 2. This is a very powerful chapter in the Bible about the church. You'll you'll remember that um, Jesus has told in Acts 1, he's told the disciples, uh, we're told there's about 120 of them. He's told them to go into Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit to come in power on them, right? And so they're in the upper room and they're, they're hanging out, they're praying, they're waiting on this uh, experience, they're waiting on what Jesus has promised. Um, and so he comes, the Holy Spirit comes uh, and does an amazing work. Now, a lot of people think that this moment at Pentecost is the birth of the church. I may have even said it, but the reality is it's not really the birth of the church. If we're going to talk about the beginning or the birth of the church, it probably would go all the way back to Genesis with, with uh, Abraham and God creating for himself a people. Even in Jesus' life and ministry in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my what? Church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, if he's building it back in Matthew 16, it didn't start over here in Acts 2. So this is not necessarily the birthplace of the church, but it's definitely sort of a launching point for the church. It's a major turning point for the church. It's a big deal. So the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish celebration. People from all over the known world, Jews from all over the known world, flood into uh, Jerusalem. Some people think there was an estimate of around 2 million people in this little city. If you've ever been to Jerusalem or seen it, you can stand on the Mount of Olives and look over the whole city. I mean, it's just, it's just right there. It's not that big of a city. You can see the whole wall around uh, the temple and around Jerusalem, and you see the Temple Mount. Um, but it's not that big, so you can imagine two million people would just inundate this place. The people would be all over, standing room only almost. So they're there for Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes on these believers in the upper room, and it comes like a, the sound, it says, of a mighty rushing wind. And then the believers have fire above their heads, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, whatever that experience was. And then they begin to speak in languages of other of people. So all these people have come from all over the known world, and they're now hearing the gospel and the glory of God in their own home heart language. That's not, that's not a mistake, right? That, that's planned. So that as they're hearing this message of the gospel in their heart language, the the hope and prayer is that they take that back to where they came from and the gospel spreads. So in that moment, it's just an incredible moment in Acts 2, and Peter, you might remember, Peter steps up. Uh, You may remember not that long ago, Peter was a cowering kind of traitor. He denied Jesus. Uh, Vehemently, he denies Christ. And yet, a few weeks later, here at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowers him in such a way that he preaches this message with power, not his power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he gives this message, and it's a beautiful message, and he offers salvation to all those who would receive it. Look with me in Acts 2. Uh, We're going to start at verse 40 and 41, just to give us a little context of where we're going here. It says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So to give a little context, you know, Peter's saying basically, if you're a Jew, you've been reading uh, every week in the synagogue about this coming Messiah. 
and he says, he's come. His name was Jesus, and we murdered him. You can imagine, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. Like, what? The Jesus we've been waiting for, we, we put on a cross? Yes, that's the bad news. The good news, Peter says, he still will save your soul. He still saves people. And so he's come, and you can believe that he's come, and you can know that believing in him, confessing your sin, that will change your life. And so 3,000 people that day, in a most miraculous way, right? Anytime somebody comes to know Christ, it's a miracle. I think it's the greatest miracle. And so it's, it's in this miraculous environment. All these miracles are happening. It's in this miraculous environment that the Holy Spirit draws 3,000 people to come to know Christ. Beautiful. Can we pray as we get into our text this morning and this word that we have? Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for our family. Thank you for what you're doing in each of us, Lord. God, thank you for the new families that are with us that are considering being a part of our family. God, thank you for new faces. Thank you for old faces that have come back to be with us today. And for anybody online, Lord, we pray that you would just comfort them and be with them. Lord, we pray that today you would open your word to us, that your Holy Spirit would lead us to all truth. God, with all my heart, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help your people take something home that changes them today from your word. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that flooded into Jerusalem that day at Pentecost, may it flood this place too by your grace and for your glory. We love you, Lord. Lead us now. Give us the courage to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter shares this incredible word and people come to know Christ. And he says basically, save yourselves and come out of this wicked uh, crooked generation. And I keep going, man, if Peter's generation was crooked, what, what would you call ours, right? It's, it's a pretty warped, crooked generation that we live in. But the good news is that same call goes out to you. The same call goes out to anyone who would hear it. Save yourself from this crooked generation and come and be a part of the family of God. Come and be a part of God's grace and what he's doing in his church. So these people received his word and we see the first act of obedience for those, right? They're saved, and then what happens? They get what? They get baptized. And then after they get baptized, we see some, some amazing processes in the early church. This is what I love about Dr. Luke. He's so, um, he's so good with detail. And he's taken down for us not only historically, and not only descriptively what happens in the early church and what we need to be and do as a church, but also prescriptively what we need to be and do as a church. In other words, here's some values you need to take and learn from and become. I believe that with all my heart. So Luke captures this process. People uh, believe and they're saved and they get baptized. People get connected. How do I know they get connected? Because somebody's counting. One, two, three, right? I'm assuming maybe the, the apostles got 12 stations set up. Who knows? They're doing baptisms all over the place. I don't know what that division is, how many each had, but 3,000 people come to know Jesus and they get baptized. What's so cool about Luke's uh, narrative here in Acts is that he shows us 
the continued process in the life of believers, right? So we leave the text we just read. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000. And then we go to our text, and we're going to read this text every single week. Maybe you'll memorize it by the time we get finished with it. Maybe I will too. Acts 2.42 through 47, it says, speaking of the people that just got baptized, right, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this text. I love it. It's it's in my top five, honestly. And I was wondering, I was asking myself this week, why is this one of your favorites? I think it's because it's such a beautiful picture of the church. It's such a beautiful representation of what the church can be. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that church, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be a part of this kind of a church, seeing people come to know Christ every single day? Signs, wonders, provision, uh, teaching, learning, growing. It's just an amazing community. So like I said, I don't believe that Luke is here just being descriptive. This is what happened, so I need to take it down in the notes so people know what happened here. No, he's also being prescriptive. Let me show you the values of what's happening in this church. Let's look at the things that we see. It's those values that we're going to dig down deep into week after week. So this morning, I want to be real simple. I want to look at eight words. Okay, can we look at the first eight words together in this text? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, I, I want you to know there's a couple of specific things in, the, in this statement. Devotion and, and learning from some teacher, the apostles, right? So today's message is, is entitled Devotion in Discipleship. That's what we're talking about. Uh, devotion, if you were to define it, it literally means being loyal, being faithful, being true, consistent, constant, committed. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to my wife. I'm devoted to my friends, these elders, these, these pastors I, I have the privilege to serve with. I'm devoted to them. I'm committed to them. And then we see this, this second aspect of learning from the apostles' teaching, the word disciple. It just means learner. That's what it means. We're learning together. We're becoming disciples. We're followers of Jesus. We're living our lives in obedience to him and his ways. That's what a disciple is. Right? I I just want to learn. I want to continue to take in, Lord, more of what you want me to know and become more of who you want me to be. So I want to break down two things today in these eight words as we look at what it means to uh, devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Number one, devotion. Jesus was on this earth uh, with his disciples for three years in his ministry. He's traveling around. There, there. At one point, he says, "I have no bed to sleep in. You know, I have no no place. Foxes have holes in the ground. We don't have a place to lay our head." The disciples were right there with him. I mean, you're close to your family. 
but these guys were closer than you and your family. They, they never left each other's side for three years. Jesus, the whole time, is teaching. He's doing miracles. One of my favorite verses is at the very end of the uh, Gospel of John, where John says, Jesus did so many miracles, I can't even begin to write them down. John says, if I were to write them down, there are not enough books in the world that could contain all that we saw and all that Jesus did. Isn't that cool? Just think about living with Jesus. Think about walking with Jesus day in, day out, miracle, insight, direction from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Messiah. So they're with him continually. They were devoted to Jesus. In the same way, these new uh, believers, these new people who've come to Christ, they're most of them uh, Jews that are now following Christ as Messiah. They are now devoted to the apostles as the, as the disciples were devoted to Jesus. You know, sometimes we throw around this, uh, this term, disciple and apostle. I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about. It can be confusing, right? So there were 12 disciples that lived with Jesus, traveled with Jesus. They, they were together all the time. At the Great Commission, when Jesus tells the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. Remember that, remember that moment? We've talked about it a lot. Go into all the world and make disciples. At that moment, Jesus turns them from disciples to apostles. The word apostle literally just means sent on mission. So if we had some couple here and we were sending them out on a missionary journey to Brazil or some other place, you could call them apostles. They're, they're, they're apostles. They're going because they're sent on mission. But they would be little a apostles because they're sent by us. But when Jesus sends people on mission, they're capital A apostles. So in that moment, there were 11 disciples that received that great commission, and they all became capital A apostles. Paul later receives, the, receives a mission to go from Jesus himself, and that's how he becomes capital A apostle Paul, right? So they were disciples, now they're capital A apostles. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure we're clear on that. So Jesus, here right before he turns them into apostles, uh, he gives them this great commission. Can we look at it together? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want you to notice something in Jesus' command. He says, make disciples, baptize them, and then what? Teach them to know all the things I taught you. Is that what he said? No. He didn't say teach them to know. And yet, how much in the church have we taught people to know a lot of stuff? He didn't say, teach them to know your names as apostles. Teach them to know the, the books of the Bible. Teach them to know. No, he said, teach them to what? Obey. There's a big difference in knowing and obeying. We said it last week. It's, a, it's two sides of the same coin. You can know what's right. You can know God's word. You can know his commands all day long. But if you don't obey, what good is it knowing them? They go together. To please God as believers in Jesus is to know his word and to do it, James says. It's important that we are not believers to say we think we know something and then live a different life. That brings dishonor to Jesus. And it shows that you may not know him. Because if we know him 1 John 3 says we will want to obey him. 
We will want to serve him. We will want to love him with our lives, not just our words and our beliefs. Jesus said, teach them not to know, to obey. Right? Teach them to obey. Uh, the very first value we see in this, this, this early church, the very first value we see is devotion. This is the very first one. They're devoted to becoming who God wants them to be as disciples. Of course, along with the other values we're going to study as we keep going here week after week. But the first thing we see is that they are devoted in this text. So let me ask you this question this morning before we get going too far. What are you devoted to? All of us have uh, great devotion to many things. What, is, what are you devoted to? Like if you were to write a list right now, and maybe you should, what are the top five things in my life I'm devoted to? I mean, I, I can't live without these five things, and I am committed, I am devoted, I am loyal, I am constant to these five things. And then let me ask you this question. Would there be any representation of Christ, his word, or his people in that list? What are you devoted to? Because the first value we see in this church is that they were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to becoming who Christ wanted them to become. See, this event of salvation, this, this moment where the Holy Spirit had been moving and miracles were taking place and Peter preaches this amazing message from the Old Testament. You know, he uses all this messianic language from the Old Testament. And then he also says he gives witness. He bore witness. In other words, he goes, uh, let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what happened in my life. Let me tell you what, what I, I, I know happened. I watched. I was there, along with what we know of Scripture. And so there was this catalytic moment of salvation for these 3,000 people. And somehow that has led them now to want to know God's Word from the apostles. Has your catalytic event in your life of salvation, if you know Jesus, has it led you to want to know Jesus? Or in your mind, in some way, do you go, okay, I got the fire insurance, right? I got to check that off. Now I can live however I want. No. No. That, that moment, that moment of transformation in your life where you believe Christ died for you and it changes you. Again, it doesn't make you a little better. It makes you from dead to alive. It's supposed to change your life. It's supposed to be transformative. Does it cause you now to want to know him more? Can you imagine these 3,000 Jews going, we miss the Messiah. I want to know about him. I want to know everything that he did. I want to know every miracle. I want to know every lesson. A devout Jew would want to know that, I believe. Does it cause us to want to know the Lord, to want to learn from his word. So here's the question we have this morning. What are the apostles' teaching, right? If they've de devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, well then what are, the, what are they teaching? See, the thing that's interesting here is they didn't have the New Testament. If, if one of you were to come to me and say, hey, would you disciple me? And I'd be honored, by the way. And many of our men and elders would be honored with, with that opportunity. Don't be shy with that question. We'll help you. But if you were to come to me and say, hey, will you disciple me? I would go, you bet, let's look in the New Testament. That's where we would start. We would begin there. We would, we would talk about what Jesus has done for us and we would help you understand who he is and how he wants you to live. But the apostles didn't have the New Testament. We don't think about that a whole lot. We just kind of hold our Bible and go, oh, I guess we've always had this. No, we hadn't. 
They had the Old Testament. They had Jesus' teaching for three years. They had the stories. They had the parables. They saw miracles. And then they also had the Holy Spirit moving in their own lives, speaking what becomes truth, what becomes holy canonized scripture as they teach it. So as they're teaching, their teaching literally becomes the New Testament. Uh, Another word for teaching is this word doctrine. You heard that word before? Sometimes we get confused. What is doctrine? Somebody literally the other day said, well, that's just, uh, I think it's just man's, it's just man's thing. Doctrine is teaching. That's, That's what the word means. Doctrine means teaching. And so the apostles are teaching doctrine. They're teaching things that involve the Old Testament, Jesus' lessons, and also how the Holy Spirit is moving them to begin uh, to create the New Testament. So the, new, the uh, disciples, or the apostles now rather, they're teaching, they're discipling these communities of believers, their instruction, their rebuke, their encouragement, all of that goes down in their letters as Holy Scripture, okay? Now I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 1. A couple of really cool verses I want us to, sh- to look at real quick here. Chapter 1, verse 20 in 2 Peter says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These men just didn't go, hey, you know what I think? It would be cool Scripture. Let me write this down. No, that's not what happened. The spirit of the living God spoke through them. He breathed out of his mouth into them. And what they wrote down became holy scripture. I think there's a really cool place here where Peter acknowledges the, the letters Paul is writing is scripture. Look with me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Uh, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, listen to this, as they do the other scriptures. What's he saying about Paul's letters there? They're scriptures. (laughs) That's what he's saying, as they do the other scriptures. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I bet you have friends like I do. I'm watching friends that have been dear friends leave the orthodoxy of the Christian faith and the word of God and and trade it out for something that's not true. You seeing that happen? It's happening all over the place and it breaks my heart. And as soon as you allow somebody to speak into your life with the air of lawlessness, not believing the truth of the word of God, then you begin yourself to lose your own stability. That's what Peter says. So Peter here is acknowledging the letters of Paul. They're not just letters. He doesn't say, man, Paul had some good advice, didn't he? You might consider that. No, he said people twist Paul's letters as they do other scripture. So Peter is acknowledging Paul's letters as holy scripture. So the apostles, what are they teaching? They're teaching from the Old Testament. They're teaching from Jesus' teaching that they were present and learned from. Uh, But they're also teaching what God has inspired them to write about the life of Christ, about our lives in Christ, 
So what is the current application for us? So we look at Acts 2.42 and it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean for you, Christian? It means we ought to be a devoted people to the word of God. That's what it means. Their teaching becomes the word of God and what they were teaching was the word of God. We should be a people devoted to the word. All right, here's the second thing I wanna break down for you this morning and that's discipleship. We talk about it a lot. It means everything to us. We believe at South City that discipleship is the why. It is the reason we meet. Jesus said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. So when you walked in over the door, it says, we want to be authentic disciples. We don't want to be fake. We don't want to say one thing and do another thing. We want to be truly disciples of Jesus who believe in him and live out this life in Christ. And we want to make other disciples. We want God to use this gospel in our lives and then help us to, to, to give it to other people. That's what Jesus has commissioned us to do. Well, uh, in discipleship, we see that in the early, these apostles' teaching, they really kind of, they kind of uh, end up in sort of two categories, if you will. And I want to talk about those just for a minute. I'll give you a couple of Greek words. You've heard them before. But we talk about them a lot, and it's, it's good for you to learn these words, okay? The first one is kerygma. Does anybody remember what the word kerygma means from our first principle study? Oh, test time. It just means proclamation. It just means the good news. It, it literally means a herald. You've got to hear this. Did you hear what happened? You remember on 9-11 when that happened? Everybody's like, did you hear? They were making a proclamation about what happened. That's what kerygma is. It's a Greek word for proclamation. So I, I want us to understand what that means. As these apostles were teaching, they were helping people to understand all the things that they needed to know about Jesus. They were proclaiming who Jesus was, all the things about God's plan for salvation, who, who Jesus wants to be in our lives, who Jesus is at the end of time. All those things connect to the gospel, and they are charismatic, Okay. I want to show you some examples of some scripture that are uh, charismatic in their nature. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Look here, he says, Paul says to the Corinthians, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Do you see the proclamation? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Proclamation. Kerygma. You need to see that this is the truth of who Jesus is. And what is, does he, Paul say it's important? He says it's of what? First importance. Paul's saying, if I don't teach you anything, the first thing you need to know is the gospel of Jesus. It, it's everything. It's the proclamation of who he is. So we need to understand that. Here's another one. Galatians 1, 1 through 3. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, proclamation, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, proclamation. You see that? So these are examples of, of Paul's teaching that are charismatic. They're, they're proclamation-oriented. So very simply, it's this. The kerygma is what we believe about Jesus, what we understand from the New Testament, from the Old Testament, that is proclaiming who he is. 
and what he's going to do in our lives and what's going to happen at the end of time. The second pathway that Paul or other apostles teach from, uh, there's the kerygma and then there's the didache, right? That's another Greek word. That word just means teaching or doctrine. You know, we use words like doctrine and some of us kind of shy away like, I don't know what their doctrine is. We don't really, it's a scary word at times. It just means the teaching. So literally, what the apostles were teaching was the didache. And I want to show you in Scripture some examples where we see that Greek word show up and some words that the apostles use. They don't all use, uh, in the translation, they don't use the same word. Sometimes they have a little slant one way or another. Sometimes they use words like the traditions or the rule, or the pattern. Um, they use different, different descriptors of the Didache and of this teaching, uh, sound doctrine, the faith. They use all these different ones. Look at these, some of these examples. I'm gonna go through them really quickly, okay? But I want you to see where the, the apostles are, are, are showing this, this teaching. They want people to understand what it means to live a life in Jesus. First Thessalonians 4, one through three. It says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk, right? This is about how you live. How you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you. Instructions, he says. That's a dedicate. We gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Paul here is saying, listen, sanctification is a seminary word for growth. Do you want to grow into the image of Jesus? Do you want to become more like Jesus? Then follow the instructions we gave you. Follow the didache. Follow the rules. Follow the tradition. Follow what we taught you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions, didache, that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Again, this is a perfect example of how uh, the Didache is about our lives, how we work. That specific verse is about having a good work ethic, right? 1 Corinthians eleven two. 2, now I command you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Didache. This is the life you need to live. This is what we live by. This is kind of a, the code, right? Jude 3, Jude says, beloved, although I was very anger, uh, eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. A couple of things I want to show you in that. He says, contend for the faith. In other words, contend for this set of instructions, this set of beliefs, this doctrine. Fight for it. Stand on it. Believe in it. It's so important that you contend for the faith. He says it was once delivered to all the saints. Isn't that interesting? In other words, what Jude is saying is that it was a high importance, even as Paul said to the Corinthians, of first importance, that, they, that the church, that new believers had this understanding of uh, how to live in Christ. They had the kerygma, who Jesus is. How do we know the difference in false beliefs, false doctrine? Well, when somebody says, well, Jesus is not really, you know, he's, he's, he's not really God. We go, oh, wait, 
That doesn't, that doesn't align with the truth of Scripture. That doesn't align with the kerygma, the par- proclamation of the Word of God that, that He is God. So now all of a sudden we're, we're able to d- d- differentiate what is truth and what is false. It's important for us to know the kerygma. It's also important for us as believers to live a life that honors Christ. And we learn all of that from this Didache. 1 Timothy 6, 2 and 3 says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And it goes on to tell about how to discipline them. 1 Timothy 4, 6 if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Clearly, there is a set of instructions. There is a set of expectations of how Christians should live. It just is, right? And this becomes, all of this becomes the word of God. So the apostles are teaching doctrine, set of beliefs. Why? so that they could give these believers establishing roots in following Christ. So that they could establish people in what they ought to believe. So that they ought to know truth when they see it or false doctrine when they see it. It's so important. One of my favorite teachers I've told you is Alistair Begg. He, uh, he says that we must know the truth. He gives four different reasons. Number one, every Christian is a theologian. The word theology just means the knowledge of God, right? It just means the knowledge of God or the study of God. And so if you know Christ, in some way you know God, right? Therefore, you're a theologian, and you ought to know a little bit more, and you ought to get to know him more. It's important. Second thing he says, getting doctrine right is the key to getting everything else right. That may be the most important one that I'm going to give you. Getting doctrine right is the most important thing because if you get it right, you get everything else in life right. Doctrine teaches us how to worship. We just took the Lord's Supper, the communion, the Eucharist. We just took this. And what we did with it is we, uh, as a family, we remembered Jesus' sacrifice for our, for our sins. That came from the instructions of the Didache. It came from how to worship, right? Uh, teaching from the Word of God. How do we worship? We, we get it in this set of instructions. How do we care for our wife? How do we care for our husband? We get it in this set of instructions. How do we have good work ethic? We get it from this set of instructions. How do we live in a society that has a government that even if we disagree with everybody, if we're a believer in Jesus, we ought to honor the people who are in authority over us. That as believers in Jesus, we pray for the people who are in authority over us, like them or not. It all comes from this Didache. If we get doctrine right, everything else will be right. Uh, number three, knowing Christian doctrine is an expression of, of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's part of our worship in loving Jesus with all that we are. And then lastly, it's important uh, to understand that it's impossible to separate Jesus from the Bible. It's impossible have you ever heard somebody say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not big on the church? You can honestly go, huh? You don't separate Jesus from the church. You don't separate Jesus from the Bible. Do you want to know Jesus more? Know the Bible more. Because in every single book of the Bible, Jesus is highlighted. Every single one. 
this beautiful, unbelievable, miraculous meta-narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. You can't separate him from the Word of God. So I want to close. Listen, at South City, we want you to be devoted to the Word of God. We want you to know it. We want you to love it. We want you to be devoted to God's ways, living his ways. We want you to be devoted to God's people. One of the ways that we do that is we are a covenantal community. You know, sometimes people use the word covenant. It's like, ah, covenant, what does that mean? When you get married, you you sign a covenant. And covenant just means the deepest promise I can make. And so I made that covenant to my wife. And by God's grace, I'm going to keep it until I don't have breath in my lungs. We believe, and the Bible talks about in Ephesians, that the relationship in the church is a very important one. In fact, he uses the example of marriage, right? And says it's a mystery. Christ's relationship to the church is this unbelievable mystery. We believe that relationships in the church are very important. Now, sadly in America, they're not that important to a lot of people. Some people hop around churches like they do restaurants. Well, I like this over here, and I like this over here, so I do this here, and I watch this, and I do that. That's not God's heart for the church. The church is a family of families. He wants us to be so interconnected, the roots of our lives, our relationships so interconnected that it's hard to leave because it's family. Family ought to be hard to leave. You know, I've got a wonderful family. I love my family. It's hard to leave family. My brother's always going to be my brother. Sisters are always going to be my, my sister, Right? And when you're connected at that deep level, it makes it difficult. See, devotion to a family is greater than preference. It's a willingness to wrestle through uh, difficult things, tough questions. We wrestle through miscommunication and mistakes. Let me say this again, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Some of you go, yeah, we, we, we know that. <laughs> We've seen that, right? And it's true. I will continue to make mistakes. I'm a human being with bad attitudes sometimes and sinfulness, and I'm sorry, would you love me enough to apologize, to let me apologize? Would you give me the opportunity to communicate with you, to share hearts, to reason together, to search out things in the Bible so we can be family? I'm gonna step on toes, I'm gonna hurt feelings, I'm gonna do things, and all of us are. But in a family, we forgive. In a family, we, we give grace. In a family, we go deeper in relationship with each other When we have the right heart, we can even speak truth in love, which is exactly God's heart for his church, for his family. If you're, for some reason, not devoted to a church at all, it'll be easy to leave. It'll be a drop of the hat. Somebody hurt my feelings, I'm out. They didn't notice I was gone for a couple of weeks. I, I feel like this church over here is just better. They got a better speaker, better music, better buildings, better stuff. It's the very definition of consumer Christianity, where you shop for what you think is best. Friends, what we have to offer you here is a family, a broken, imperfect family who will love you, who will long to see Jesus formed in you. Would you come wrestle with us? We don't have easy answers. You know, we don't don't have it all figured out. But we got a lot of love, and we've been received in a lot of grace, and we offer that to you.
It's easy to leave a performance or a service, but it should be difficult to leave a family. And so the covenant just says that. It says, would you really think about what it means to be a part of our family? And if the Lord moves you to another church, we want to bless you. But we want to bless you through a conversation. That's all. Listen, I want to pause just for a moment, and I want to give a commercial to what's next. This coming Wednesday, we start What's Next. It's a small group for seven weeks. If you're thinking about being a partner of our church, or if you just have some questions about what our church is about, come join us Wednesday nights, 6 p.m., right back here in, in this room. Starting this week, we would love for you to come. If you haven't registered, uh, try to register. If you don't register, it's not a big deal. Come. I mean, we'd like for you to, but if you don't, come anyway. We'd love to have you. Uh, learn a little bit more about who we are and what we mean when we talk about being a family of families. Look at Romans 12 as we close here. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. That's what a church is. Honor one another above yourselves. To be devoted to one another in love. We want to be devoted to each other, to God's word as disciples. Uh, some of you know that we, we study a series of discipleship books called First Principles. We love those books um, because that's what those, that series is doing. It's helping us go deeper in establishing our faith in Christ. And we want to be a deep family. We want when you walk out your life with your family and your friends at work that they ask a question about, man, you really believe the Bible? Come on. You go, yeah. Let me tell you why. You really believe Jesus has died? Yeah, let me tell you why. We want you to be able to answer those questions and live in such a way that you're devoted to God's word. That's why we offer a seminary level leadership course. The book of Acts, Pauline uh, studies. If you want to do that and jump in with us and go deeper as a believer, praise God and jump in. Because we at South City, we believe this. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible has everything we need to be who God wants us to be. Do you believe that? Let's be devoted to it. And then let's help other people understand it. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you have heard from me, Paul says, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Multiply this truth. Teach other people. Look for opportunities to speak life and make disciples. Not just our staff. Not just our elders. Every one of you. Because we're all called to be on commission to make disciples for Jesus. How do we define the values of the early church and what do we want to be? First and foremost, they need to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you do, then we baptize you. And by the way, if you want to be baptized, we would love to do that. Come let us know. It's way up there. It's a lot of fun. We'd love to do that. And after we baptize people, we want them to be devoted to the Word of God. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these other aspects, these other values of what it means uh, to be a, a follower of Christ in his church. How are you doing in this? I mean, honestly, as you think about this in your own life, I, I was praying last night for you, for us, me, <laughs> and I just felt so convicted. I don't love the word of God like I need to. 
I was heartbroken. I was just praying and weeping before God. Lord, help me to want to know your word more. I, I don't know it enough. I don't love it enough. I want to be in it more. Where's your heart in that? Do you want to be devoted to the word of God? Do you want it to change you, transform you? Peter tells us this in 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior Jesus Christ. That's our prayer as a church. We want to be a community that looks like a biblical community. We don't want to hold up our, our church to some other church in, a, in the country that's blowing and going or some other church in the city. I, I want to look at the church of Jerusalem in Acts 2 and say, God, can you make us like this church somehow? And it starts by being devoted to God, his ways, and his people. It starts by being devoted to God's word. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. So very much. Lord, we value your word. We, we hold it up with such esteem, God. Because in it is the very uh, life-giving words of Almighty God. God, will you strengthen us in our faith in your word? Will you teach us to know it more? Would you give us a desire? If it's not a part of our lives, Lord, I pray that we would go home today, find the Bible app on our phone, find a reading plan, find something that, Lord, we can get into, set an alarm on our phone. I don't care what tools we need to use, but God, by your spirit, move us to your word so that you can teach us to be who you would have us to be, so that we can know you, Lord, by your word, to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we love you with all that we are. Would you forgive us on all the times that we have not valued your word? Lord, we're more, we're more devoted to TV shows. Well, we're not gonna miss that episode. <laughs> we're more devoted to the NBA or the NFL. We're more devoted to so many things than your word. God, forgive us and convict us and bring us to our knees, Jesus, to help us know that life and godliness and all that we need is in your God-breathed word. Spirit of the living God, move in this place today. Help us to respond to you, Lord and what you've done in our hearts. Whatever your spirit is speaking to us, Lord, help us just to respond. Whatever's weighing on our hearts, Lord, help us to lay it down because you care for us. And God, I pray that today we are able to walk out of this place more than conquerors, knowing that you love us and knowing that you wanna bring us up. You want us off of uh, spiritual milk, as the Bible says, and you want us on some meat, God. You want us growing and learning and going deeper in the truth of your word. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our family. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. We love you so much. Move now, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.